Now, I want to ask you a question. If, if I could show you something solid in Scripture, I mean, not some fringe, you know, teaching, but something solid in Scripture, that if you would learn it and apply it, by the way, there's, there's the key note to everything, application, because no matter what, you know, if you don't apply it, it doesn't work. But if you could, if you could receive a truth, and if you applied it, it would alter your life in the most beautiful way. Would you be interested in knowing it and doing it? I mean, I'm in, so I said, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for this. It's, uh, it's very clear in Scripture as we go through these things. Just say it's so clear, and yet somehow we miss it, we gloss over it, or maybe we think it's just too big to be true or it's too good to be true, and so we, we just move on. And then there's another group of people, and I probably fall in this category. I know this is true. I'm getting ready to teach you truth from the Word, but I don't always apply it. When you know truth and you don't apply it, it's not that effective. So there's a big group of people that don't know this, and there's another group of people who do know it, and then out of that group, there's probably a little group that applies it. But we're going to learn today, and we're going to apply, we're going to put the Word of God into application in our lives. Now, I have to lay a foundation first before we get to this, this truth. It goes all the way back to Genesis, the opening chapter one of Genesis. God's in creation mode. He's creating. He's speaking. He's speaking things into existence. Then he comes to this crowning creation, which is us. It's human beings. And he crafts this, and they have a conversation. And this conversation goes on in heaven. It's like this. He said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. In other words, let's, let us make man like us. Now, we're not capital G gods, but God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let's give him authority. Let, let's call him, delegate our authority to him to reign and rule and have dominion on planet earth. I mean, you read this for yourself, and you're probably familiar with the story. You're, the, the man and woman will have dominion, human beings will have dominion over everything the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything on planet earth, everything on earth, in earth, around earth, human beings are given authority and they're given rulership. And so we're supposed to rule, we're supposed to have dominion, we're supposed to subdue, we're supposed to control, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be the caretakers of planet earth. Now, is the earth still God? Sure it is. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything on it, and all the people therein, they're the Lord's. But God has given us authority, delegated authority to us, human beings, to reign and rule on planet Earth. But then in comes the devil, and he deceives Eve. Adam sins. Uh, so the Bible actually teaches that. At least, least Eve was tricked, but Adam willfully knew what he was doing and did it. And they, their rulership, their authority was broken. Sin came into the world, and there's problems. So, first of all, though, I want you to know, Satan is an illegal trespasser on planet Earth because God gave dominion to whom? To people, to human beings. Satan is not a human being. So he stepped onto planet Earth. He's tricked them to grab a hold of some of their authority and rulership on planet Earth. The things on planet Earth get broken. We know that. Even creation cries out. Even creation moans and groans and waits for, for God to wrap everything up and finish it all up. So here is um, man's fallen. We got a problem. 
You know, it's like the commercial we all talk about. We have fallen, we can't get up. It literally is true. We have fallen, we can't get up on our own strength, our own power. And we really do need a lifeline to allow us to rise again and get up. And God says, I think it's Genesis 3, he's already on the scene. He already says, hey, here's, the, here's what's going to happen. And he, he's, he's definitely talking to the devil at this point. He says, there's going to be a seed from a woman, which is an unusual phrase in the Bible because the seed's always from man, but there's going to be the seed of woman. The Holy, he doesn't say this in chapter 3 of Genesis, but the Holy Spirit, we know this, is going to do a miracle in the life of Mary, and she's going to give birth to a, a child. And this child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so he tells Satan, he says, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And, boy, that's good news. He's going <laughs> whew, we're partnered up not with the heel bruiser, we're partnered up with the head crusher, you know, the one who has total authority. And so that ends up happening. God does that special work through the Lord. God does miraculous things. And we look at this scenario and we think, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this. I, I have. Wonder why God did it that way. Wonder why God, you know, clothed himself in a human body. That's, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. In John, and we go to this often because it's such a critical linchpin to, to our Christian faith. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, John 1, 1 said, In the beginning was the Word. Every time I say this, you'll hear me say this. It's a capital W. It's a person. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Don't miss that. And the Word was God. And then you read on, get down to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hmm. Well, it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, Bible smarts to start looking through there and say, Oh, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. The one whom all the fullness of God dwelled in in bodily form. Absolutely. And so, God comes on the scene in a body. Now, it makes logical sense to me. I mean, people can say, well, Tracy, you think he could have done it another way? Well, he's God. He's pretty creative. If he wanted to do it a different way, I'm not going to argue with him. You know, he is the God, sovereign God of all the universe. But it seems right with his plan. He gave dominion on planet Earth to people, to human beings. Satan came in illegally. And God is going to buy back fallen man according to his own system, through a man. Because God gave you dominion to a man, it would be through a man that we would be restored. So we got this sinless, perfect man, Adam, and this sinless, perfect woman, Eve, who have fallen into sin and they're broken. Their rulership has been broken. Their dominion has been broken. Again, what can buy back a perfect, sinless human? Can the blood of bulls, can the blood of goats, can the blood of birds, can the blood of sheep? No, it cannot buy back a perfect, sinless human being. Now, we know this, that Jesus, or God set up the, the plan that there would be animal sacrifices that would cover sin, but never remove sin. So to win back a perfect, sinless human, it will take the sacrifice of a perfect, sinless human, and the only one we know is Jesus. So in Hebrews 10, 4 through 5, I like this verse, these verses. It says, for it is not possible. So we can say it like this. It is impossible. 
It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what's the possibility level of the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins? It's zero. It's impossible. It is impossible. So that is why when Christ came, Christ is Jesus, the Messiah, that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God the Father, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings but you have given me what? A body. You have given me a body to offer. I think the King James says, you have prepared a body for me. The blood of bulls and goats is not what you desired, so you have prepared a body for me. So, Jesus buys back our authority, our rights, our rulership, our dominion. Don't miss it. He bought it back. He was successful. He did it. Satan was thoroughly defeated. That's absolute. I know you hear me say this a lot, but I just got to drive it home. Jesus and Satan are not in a wrestling match where neither one can hardly win. Jesus utterly, soundly defeated the devil, made an open show and shame of him, made a mockery of him, and soundly defeated him. So, then we see this beautiful passage, we're not going to look it up, but you can jot it down. In Ephesians chapter 1, 20 and 21, it says, And God raised up Jesus, seated him at his right hand, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and any name that can be named in this life or the life to come. So we see this. Jesus is far above all dominion, rule, power, and authority. And then it says in Ephesians 2, 6, here's the good news for us, and we have been raised up with him. We've been raised up with Jesus, seated with him in the heavenly realms. Well, we already learned where Jesus is seated, far above all rule, power, dominion, authority, name that could be named above anything. And we've been raised up with him and seated with him. One of the ultimate goals is that God's going to show his everlasting love and kindness towards us by doing such a thing as that. So we were originally created to be like God, Genesis chapter 1. We were originally created to be like God. We fell into sin, and we were broken. Jesus comes and buys us back. He gives us salvation. Guess what? The salvation restores us spiritually. We know this earth and earthly bodies not restored perfectly yet, but it will be. It will be. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we'll be resurrected with a new body. It must be so glorious that Paul even at one point says, let's not even talk about it. Because there's, there's a different glory between the sun and the moon, and we can think and wonder all we want about what is this body going to be like. It's just going to be so amazing. It's beyond our comprehension. So we're just spending a lot of energy talking about, I wonder what that body's going to be like. So he tells us, I don't even know if it's worth thinking about. And so then you and I think, I wonder what that body's going to be like. Because it's just an amazing concept. So, but are we really restored? Well, let's see what Ephesians 4, through 24 says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Now, according to 1 Corinthians 5, the new self is our salvation new being. If anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ today? If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come, and God has actually made you his righteousness. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
So let's read on. And to put on the new self created to be like whom? God. In Genesis 1, let's make man after our likeness. Let's make him in our image. When man became sinful, we were no longer like God because God's not sinful. But then Jesus comes and redeems us and then it says this new creation self that we are is created to be just like God in true righteousness and holiness. And you say, well, I don't know because I don't feel like I'm truly righteous and holy. All I can tell you is what the Bible says. The Bible says that when we come into a relationship with Jesus, it says that Jesus makes us perfect forever. He makes us He makes us. Our high priest, Jesus, makes perfect forever those who are being made holy. I get the idea that we're working this out in our lives, but the moment we receive Jesus, we're new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. We've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, I want to ask you, can you get any more righteous than that? Can you get any more righteous than being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? So we were taught to take off the former self, the old self, and throw it away and put on this new self that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So all of a sudden, we're back to being created to be like God. Now that's a setup for this stuff we're going to look at today. There's um, just a recap. God gave dominion and authority on planet Earth to whom? To human beings, right? Are Are you with me? That's Genesis 1. Since we've become Christians, is our rulership restored? Yes, according to the scripture. But what does that mean for us? Well, we're going to read some powerful things. But I want to remind you because for some reason there's this this passion among Bible teachers to almost dismiss anything you read in the Old Testament. Now, I want you to know this. This is true, that the Old Testament stories are dealing with particular situations that were going on at that moment. And we're not in that particular situation at this moment. But those stories give us an insight to the heart, the passion of God, and how he operates. So that's why in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, tells us that these Old Testament events are for our New Testament learning. There's one that gets beat up all the time. I read this all the time. People say, Man, preachers, would you quit telling people, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11? Would you quit telling them, I know my plans for you, declares the Lord. They're to bless you, not to curse you. They're to give you hope in the future. Why do they want us to quit telling that to people? Because that was for the Hebrew people who were being captured by Babylon and brought into captivity. That was a promise to them. They will say, not a promise to you. But I say, you're wrong. It's a promise to all of us. Because that's an example that we learn from. And we see, oh, I discovered something about God's heart in Jeremiah 29, 11. That even if I'm in a rough place, even if I'm in a bad place, even if I'm in tough times, his plan for me is to bless me, not to curse me, and to give me hope and a future. And that's exactly what he did. So you and I may not be being whisked off into Babylon captivity right now, but we might have something going on in our life where we say, hold it, God, what's up here? I feel like I'm getting in trouble by you, or you're out to get me, or, or you're mad at me, or maybe I did something wrong. And God says, time out, read Jeremiah 29, 11. I know my plans for you, declares the Lord, 
there to bless you, not to curse you, and there to give you hope in the future. And you're going to get through this, over this, around this, under, I don't know how you're going to get through it. I don't know, but God does. And you're going to get on the other side and know the blessing of the Lord. So it reveals the heart of God. So we're going to look at Ezekiel 37. Now, I'm not ignorant about the passage. It's very specific if you continue to read like Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38, it's very specific that God is, is, is teaching something to Israel and the redemptive work he's going to do in Israel. But I want you to know also that this is something that works its way all the way through the Old and New Testament, this pattern of how God operates. And when you study the Bible, I always want to encourage people, get this bridge of application. So we're going to look at Ezekiel 37. We're not Hebrews. We're not Israelites. We're not in the problem that they're in right now. So can this verse apply to me? Yes, I just have to build a bridge of application and a legitimate one to see what kind of truths can I glean out of that to apply to my life. So we sang it earlier, but now let's look at Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man. What is a son of man? A human being. So I don't think we'd be wrong with the scripture to say, and he asked me, Hey, human being, can these bones live? I love his answer. I think it's a very wise answer. Ezekiel knows the Lord, and he knows this. From my perspective, no, these bones can't live. But I'm not talking to me. I'm talking to the sovereign of all the universe. So he says, you, O sovereign Lord, you alone know whether these bones can live or not. God does know. (laughs) Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Now, I want to back up because I I missed something I wanted to show you. The title of this message is Make Yourself a Prophet. Make yourself a prophet of God's word. I'm not saying just make yourself a prophet. Make yourself a prophet of God's word. And we're going to see what happens here and how that applies here. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What's he going to do? He's going to speak the word of the Lord. The Lord's telling him exactly what to say. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now again, I want us to think for a second. Why didn't God just say this himself? Because he said it. But he said it to Ezekiel, so Ezekiel would say it to the Valley of Dry Bones. Because God gave authority and rulership to people. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah. Let, let me. Jesus himself appears to Saul on the road to Damascus and says, Go to Straight Street and go to a man named Ananias, and he will tell you wonderful words of life. Why didn't Jesus? Jesus is no longer walking as a human being on planet Earth. He commissions Ananias to do the work on the planet to speak the word of the Lord 
to Saul. So he's looking for somebody who will speak what God says. Not what they feel. Hey, I'm guilty of this. You know, talk what we feel, talk what we think, talk what we wish, talk what we wish wouldn't happen, talk about all kinds of stuff, except the word of the Lord. We need to talk the word of the Lord. You say, Does, is it really that critical? Yes, it's that critical. It's that critical. You get saved by speaking words. Faith comes into your heart, you believe in your heart, and you speak with your mouth. You speak and confess, you speak and confess. Now, I've had on occasion say, well, somebody can't talk. Well, they got some method of communicating, and they'll use it to communicate that they are giving their lives to Jesus. You believe in your heart, you hear the word, you believe the word, faith comes in you, you speak it, and that's how you get born again. So, it's that critical. Also, if we rewound and we went back to Ezekiel 22, we're not going to do that right now. I'm just going to tell you the story real quick. People have been living sinful. People have been doing wrong. People have been doing bad. God's a good judge. Now, we get after him for, for judging things, and the world says, oh, he's too judgy. No, really, honestly, the more you get to know him, you, I, I mean this, you'll feel like he's not judgy enough. It's like, hurry up. Hurry up and judge this. Well, because God is slow to anger and he's abounding in love, he's crazy compassionate, and he hates us in judgment. That's mentioned about four times in the Old Testament. He, these people have been sinning, and judgment is about to come because he's not going to be able to withhold judgment because their sins have piled up. It's just my way of saying it to where it's, there's a, it's at a tipping point. But before God judges them, you know what he says? In Ezekiel 22, he says, I look for a man, by the way, didn't have to be a man-man, you know, from the Old Testament. God used Deborah and, and, and Esther and, and several. A very patriarchal society, God used women in the Old Testament. And so, but he sought for somebody, he says, who would make up the wall, who would stand in the hedge, make up the gap. What's he looking for? An intercessor. He's looking for one prayer. If I can find one prayer... I'll withhold my judgment. But he says, I, I found none. He couldn't find a single prayer in, in Ezekiel 22. And the Bible says, and it's not really even that God said, look at how mad and what I'm going to do to you. He actually says their own sin came back on their own head. Their own evil came back upon them. So God wanted to spare. God wanted to give grace. God wanted to be said, I just need some. I need a person to pray. I need somebody to pray. So is it important? Absolutely it is. So, I don't know, how far have I gotten? Did I read four and five and six? You all don't know. No, did I? Okay. Let's read on. Verse seven. So God's told him to prophesy. And verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I was, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was what? No breath in them. Then he, God, said to me, prophesy to the breath. We're not done talking yet. Prophesy to the breath. breath prophesy, human being. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, say to it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. What happened? The power of prophesying. Make yourself a prophet of God's word. Speak God's word. Now, I know we may say that's a radical concept. Jesus did it all the time. I'm amazed at how we tell we need to love like Jesus. We need to care like Jesus. We, if, if it's an emotion, we need to be like Jesus. But when we say, let's do a miracle, wait, we can't do that. You, you ever try to love somebody who hates you? You ever try to love somebody who is despitefully desiring to use you? You will find you, it will take Jesus to do that. You cannot do that in your own steam. So all the beauty that we love about Jesus, we say, oh, that's what the church needs to be. That's what Christians need. And we do. I'm, I do agree with that. We do. But we make it sound like it's super easy. But, but doing miracles would be hard. They're both impossible without God. Amen. Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can't love the unlovely. We can't be compassionate. We can't do any of those things. We need God. And we need God for these things. So Jesus will, it'll be one of our closing verses for the day, but Jesus one time, he talks to a fig tree. It says that he talked out loud, he spoke to it. The Bible says the disciples who were with him heard him. And the next day when they walked by, the fig tree had withered from the root. And he said, have faith in God. Have the God kind of faith. And I tell you the truth. If you say, 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 says say three times in the passage. Here, all through this, is the sovereign Lord says, and then he tells us what to say. We, we, need to be, we need to make ourselves prophets of the word of God. It's a sure form of prophecy. I don't know. If I'm at a church service somewhere and Lord, somebody says, I feel like the Lord showed me that this is going to happen or that's going to happen, that may or may not be true. I'll take it with the, not, not, I don't mean this negatively. I'll take it with a grain of salt, pray about it, see what God's up to. But when, when somebody quotes me the word of God, I don't have to say, well, I don't know about that. Now, I can say, I know about that. It's forever sealed and settled in heaven. This is the word of God. So I want you to be a prophet of God's word. Speak God's word. Now, if you, if you like studying words, I think words are kind of cool. I love words. Uh, the word for prophecy in the Hebrew, and you just go to Strong's Concordance. I'm not a Hebrew scholar or a Greek scholar. I just know how to look in a book or go online. So you look up in Strong's Concordance, there's the Hebrew word is navah. Now, navah means to prophesy, to speak or sing under inspiration. So the Holy Spirit's inspiring, you're speaking or singing. And it says prophesying, and then it has this line, it's where I got the title for my message, make self a prophet. I thought, what? Make self a prophet? So navah in, in Hebrew means, one of the meanings is to make yourself a prophet. Make yourself a prophet. Elijah was being a prophet, but he was simply repeating what God told him to say. In the New Testament, the word for prophecy is, it signifies speaking forth the mind and counsel of God. That's, you got a prophetic edge on you if you're telling somebody the mind and counsel of God. They say, boy, I got this problem. I don't know what to do. Well, I know this. The Bible says in Romans, and you say that, guess what? You just prophesied. You just, the, there's, there's a prophetic power, because it's now God's words, not your opinion, See, we all got opinions. We can say, well, I went through something one time, and I tried this and tried that, and they come back two weeks later and say, I tried exactly what you said. It didn't work at all. Well, because it may have worked for you in that particular situation, but the Word of God always works. And so you're prophesying, you're speaking the Word of God. So there's this powerful insight 
about speaking, speaking spiritual truths, biblical truths, and if applied, it'll alter our lives. It'll change our lives because we're speaking the will of God. We're speaking the word of God. We're speaking the mind of God. We're speaking the heart of God over our situations. We're speaking it over our lives. We're speaking it over everything, everyone, everything that concerns us, everyone we know, every situation, every purpose, every plan. We want to speak the word of the Lord. So we need to make ourselves prophets. Again, I'm not talking about make yourself a, a, a future foreteller. I'm not saying you're like an Old Testament prophet where, you know, God gives you some word. He, God can't give words. I just want you to know that. I always crack you up and people say, God can't do that anymore. What? You need to tell God that. Because I think anything God said he could do, he can still do. But I'm talking about something everyone can do. We can all speak the word of God. Speak it and prophesy it over your lives. You say, well, how does it work? Well, I've had a couple aches in my body. Now, I'm not opposed to doctors or anything like that. I'm all forgetting, well, whatever it is, okay? I will do whatever to try to get better. But I've been prophesying over my body. Ow, that hurts. Body, I speak to you. I prophesy. God sent his word and healed me. You say, well, that's radical. That's his Bible. God sent his word and healed me. Oh, my goodness, I see your heart, Jesus. You went about doing good, healing all who are sick and oppressed of the devil. You, I just start confessing healing verses over my body and over others. You may say, well, have you ever done it and didn't work? Yeah. I would, I'd much rather be found speaking the word of God and die doing it. I'm serious. I'd rather be speaking the word of God and die doing it. Now, I mean not that I would avoid a doctor or anything like that, but to be found faithful speaking the word of God. Thought comes across your mind, man, this is a bad situation. You're, you're, you're never going to make it. Whoa, excuse me. I have a word, a word from God. God always causes me to triumph. What are you doing? You're prophesying over that situation. You're speaking the word of God. God always causes me to triumph. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. My God is able. And you just begin to speak the word of God over your lives. Man, that relationship's never going to make it. Prophesy to it. Man, I got a decision to make, and I, I'm afraid I'm going to make a wrong decision. You're not going to make a wrong decision. Why? Because I'm going to prophesy that decision-making thing. See, I can't go to the Bible and find out, take the job at company A or company B, but I can find this. God's Word says this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will guide you with my eye. God's Word says, Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. God's Word says this. You'll hear a voice behind you and it will say, Here's the way, walk ye in it. I'll begin to speak that. Jesus said this, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan or without a helper. I'm going to send the comforter. He's going to lead you into all truth and show you things to come. And he will counsel you and comfort you. Okay, I'm not going to make a wrong decision. I'm going to speak life over myself. I'm going to become, I'm going to make myself a prophet. And I'm going to speak the word of the Lord. What is there in your life? Man, my kids are never going to serve God. That's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the devil. Yeah, but this week, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I get it. But what I'm going to say is this. You know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to remind God that when Peter came and talked to Cornelius, he and all of his household, not even his households, his servants and maidservants and, and workers, and every, they all got saved. I'm going to speak that. The blessing of the Lord 
goes to the thousandth generation for those who love God. I'm going to speak that. I'm going to speak it and talk. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to make myself a prophet. And I want to encourage you, make yourself a prophet. Begin to speak life. Begin to speak truth. All Ezekiel did was said whatever God told him to say. Think about how inadequate Ezekiel was. Can these bones live? I ain't got the foggiest idea. You know. Yeah, right, I do know. Now prophesy to them bones and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And he went, okay. And he just spoke whatever God said. Now they don't have breath in them. Prophesy, son of man, prophesy to the breast. Say, from the four corners, winds of the earth will blah, 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 blah. And God told him what to say, and he said it. I want to encourage you to say what God says. Speak God's word. And let me tell you something that we're all prone to doing, me, you, all of us. I, I see it a lot when I pray for people. Um, you pray for people. And like, like my, my left knee has been tight for some reason the past couple of days. It doesn't really hurt, but it's been tight. And so somebody gets prayer. And they pray for your knee, and you go, yeah, well, I don't know what's going on with that thing. I think I'm going to have to see the doctor this week because it just isn't good. I don't think that thing's ever going to get better. And, well, then don't ask me to pray for you. I mean, you just got prayer, and you, but there's something in us, well, it's just the right thing to do. I want it to go a step past the right thing to do. I want it to not just be the right thing to do. I want it to be something we believe will make a difference. Make a difference. And I also want to say this. I mean this wholeheartedly. If somebody prays for me and six weeks later they say, how's that knee going? I don't want to have to say, I went and got a cortisone shot and feel guilty about it. I don't care. I want to be well. So I'm, I, just, I just want to be well. And so, but I encourage as you get prayer for anything, believe God. Pray for my marriage. Yeah, we ain't never going to make it. Well, th thanks a lot, you know. Why don't we just... Go have a cup of coffee and not waste our time. So when we pray, let's at least say, you know what? I'm going to receive that prayer. We prayed the word of God. I'm going to confess the word of God. I'm going to make myself a prophet of God's word. So here's our application ideas for the week. Write a daily confession of faith. But then I decided to add this to it. Write a daily confession of faith and confess it daily. You ever done something like that? I'm going to write a confession of faith. And then you scroll through your notes and you realize, huh, 18 months ago I wrote a daily confession of faith. I never confessed. You write it and confess it. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a 45-minute document. You know, write a confession of faith about your spiritual life and your physical life and, and your, your desire to share Christ with people, whatever. You know, write that and confess it over yourself. By the way, this is so much more. I know the world has this idea, and, and it's, I don't mind it at all, but they'll talk about, you know, make affirmations. I was seeing something, you know, it was, a, it was a baseball commentary, and this gal stand up and says, yeah, you know, maybe the team's doing well because they're making those positive affirmations. I am a light to the universe. And I said, I don't know if you're a light to the universe or not. I don't mind positive affirmations, but this just isn't positive affirmations. This is confessing the word of God over you, the word of God over you. So your daily confessions of faith need to be full of scripture. Then the second thing is just begin practicing speaking the word of God over any problem or any plan that you have. Because we can all make plans, but God directs. And so it's good to go, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing, God. You know, give me wisdom, give me direction. You know, there's one place in the book of Acts that said, this please the Holy Spirit and us. I thought, wow, that's good. We were thinking about doing this thing, and it seemed to be pleasing to the Holy Spirit and to us to move forward. 
She'll speak the word of God over any problem or any plan. And then the third thing, just keep doing it till it's a habit. You say, well, how do I know it's a habit? Well, because if you write out a daily confession of faith, you'll probably have your smart device or a piece of paper, and you'll begin to read it. And one day you'll wake up, and you won't even have to look at that because you'll know what you say, and you begin to speak that because it's, it's just a habit. You know how to do it. You know how to say it, but it's a living habit. So let's put these things into practice. Let's, let's be those Ezekiels that God said, here's a situation. You think it could be resolved? I don't know, but you know. You're right, I do know, and it can be resolved, and here's what I want you to say. And you say it, say it, and say it, and keep speaking the word of God over your lives. Father, we thank you for your word.